Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Permanente Medicine Podcast's 2022 season. I'm Chris Grant, your host and Chief Operating Officer of the Permanente Federation. I'm excited to kick off our new season with this great discussion about social health and how healthcare systems can work to improve the health of our communities. I think that accountability kind of falls on on every uh, healthcare system across the country and, and on physicians to be advocates from a public policy standpoint in, in driving that investment locally and nationally. I often found myself chatting with my patients, not necessarily just about their diabetes or about their hypertension, I found myself talking to my patients about where they will be sleeping that night, where they're going to be able to get their next meal. So I would say first that we need to prioritize screening and we need to make sure that people who need and want to get that help actually get that help. Calling into the show today are Drs. Bashara Shukar and David Grossman. Dr. Shukare is Senior Vice President and Chief Health Officer for Kaiser Foundation Health Plan and Hospitals. He also served on the White House COVID-19 response team early in the pandemic. Dr. Grossman was formerly a senior leader of the Washington Permanente Medical Group and senior investigator at Kaiser Permanente Washington Health Research Institute in Seattle. He is now Kaiser Permanente's interim senior vice president for social and community health. Welcome to the show, Dr. Shukare and Dr. Grossman. It's so great to have you on our podcast. Thank you so much for having us, Chris. Thank you, Chris. All right, well, let's get started. We're hearing a lot about the importance of social health and community health in our country right now. What do these terms mean? Bashara, let's start with you and then go to David. Sure. Well, thank you, Chris, for inviting me. It's always great to be with you and to be with David. You know, I trained as a family physician in a residency program that was embedded in a community health center that was mostly serving immigrants, refugees, as well as people experiencing homelessness in Houston, Texas. And I often found myself chatting with my patients, not necessarily just about their diabetes or about their hypertension. I found myself talking to my patients about where they will be sleeping that night, where they're going to be able to get their next meal. I talked to them about whether they have enough money to pay their rent at the end of the month. And for many of my patients, those issues were more important to them at that moment than how well their diabetes is controlled or whether they should get a colonoscopy screening. And throughout my clinical career, it became really clear to me that those social factors, whether it's housing or food or social isolation or having enough money to be able to pay your rent, these factors are influencing my patient's health as much as their physical health challenges and their mental health challenges. So fast forward uh, many years, and now I'm at uh, Kaiser Permanente, where we 
have the honor and the privilege to take care of a 12.6 million members, it becomes really important that we focus on those members' social health the same way we pay attention to their physical health and to their mental health. Thanks so much, Bashara. David? Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to hear Bashara talk about the early stages as a career. And, you know, I reflect back very similarly that I think like most physicians, we learn very early on about that connection between social, community, and individual health. And we see it all the time as part of our practice. It's obviously most apparent when we work in safety net settings. My first job out of residency was with the Indian Health Service on the Navajo Reservation, and I saw it pretty much with every patient that there were major social issues going on that influenced health. So we've known this for a while. I don't think it's been any, certainly, you know, not a secret to the profession that this is an important issue. And while we've had certain pockets of the organization address these issues, we, you know, I think that we still are on the verge of systematically and routinely addressing those social needs as part of a routine process of care. Just And as Bashara said, it's about integration. It's about integration of physical health, mental health, and social health. So it's a big transformation. We've spent a lot of time making sure that we are using the right terms um, and the semantics are right for our patients as well as for our providers. And what it came down to is that social health really means to having a safe place to live healthy food, enough money to pay the bills, um, having strong social connections, and other daily essentials that lead to good health. So that's a social health practice that we want to build here at Kaiser Permanente and weave that as a major thread in the fabric of Permanente Medicine. Thanks for for helping our listeners with with really understanding the terminology because that, that nomenclature matters immensely. Uh, and we all we all are part of a larger ecosystem where where our health and and, and our community and our family life and our w- mental well being are all so um, thoroughly integrated. Um, Kaiser Permanente is known for its integrated system and our electronic health record. How do Permanente leaders and physicians leverage our model of care to address members' social factors and promote total health? Well, let's start with you this time, David. Thanks, Chris. And, you know, that's such an important question because without the technology and without the tools, as much as high as our aspirations are, we'll never get to that point of being able to be fully successful in being both systematic and universal in this approach. As I said, you know, I, the physicians have always been aware about that, but they haven't had those tools and those processes. The resources vary from institution to institution. Some have a social worker, some don't. Um, some have 211, some don't. Uh, and it's never really entirely clear what those resources are and, to, you know, how they're available to whom and to when. So we, you know, at Kaiser Permanente are developing those tools and those community infrastructures. Um, that's how we got started with the Thrive Local program. The idea was to build the back end first and to start to assemble the, the resources in the community that can help take care of our members and provide the processes to connect them uh, through our systems, through our electronic health record. That really helps to reinforce the integrated model that we have um, in supporting our members' total health. But, you know, that integration, as you know, takes time. It's not instant. But we've actually made a ton of progress at KP um, around this. 
But beyond technology, there's also a need for us to address education because it's one thing to first deliver those resources to the patients. And not, not every patient actually wants that information from us necessarily, but it's our obligation to ask. But it's another thing to learn how to adapt your care um, as a physician and other providers to really ensure that patients get the best outcomes. We need to be use and integrate that information as we design a care plan for our members um, because the care plan may need to be modified depending on what those social factors are. Makes a ton of sense. And just for our listeners, what does a 2-1-1 mean? A 2-1-1 is, uh, is like a 9 It's actually, instead of being an emergency uh, assistance, it's per, for community supports. So, for example, in the state of California, San Diego has a 2-1-1 resource line, um, and many some of those communities do. We've, we've found that one of the biggest challenges as we implement Thrive Local is the, you know, is the ability to try to bring some sense of order and alignment around all of these various social service resource locators in a community. And uh, certainly Kaiser Permanente has been at the, at the forefront in efforts to align these among communities. And, you know, my own hometown in Seattle, for example, you know, we've been able to really bring all, not just Kaiser Permanente, but all the organizations, including the state and the county, under sort of one platform. Great. Thank you. Yeah, I just want to add to um, the way David described how we're approaching the focus on social health for our members. One other way to look at it, if you think about Kaiser Permanente, we take care of our members' physical health. That's why we have networks of physicians and specialists who are there to support our members' physical health. We take care of our members' mental health, and that's why we have a network of psychiatrists and counselors and social workers who are there to support the mental health needs of our members. And what we're saying, we have to have that same approach to taking care of our members' social health, and that's why across our footprint, we're building a network of community-based organizations that are standing ready to support our members with their social health needs. So building that network of social providers with the same rigor that we put to build our networks of primary care and specialists, to build a network of mental health providers and the ability to integrate all of that together in the Kaiser Permanente way of integration is truly our commitment to be able to optimize the health and well-being of our members. That was very well said, Bashar. Yeah, that was perfect. Um, so it really is that integration of, of social care, social health, medical care, medical health. Well, and I would just add to what Bashar said is that, you know, along this concept of a network, we have expectations of our, our networks. Uh, we have expectations of, of our physicians in the network, of our physicians and provider and other mental health providers in the mental health side. And the same will be true in the community. So the one of the beauties of having a technology platform is that you know we can receive feedback and information about how our members are served, what their needs are, what kind of follow-up is needed. You know, I don't know. I don't think I've ever received um, any, in, you know, information back um, from a, a community-based agency where I sent someone. And and now this new platform does allow for that um, for electronics to help us do that. It's fantastic. 
We're witnessing many profound changes in the medical field and across society during COVID-19. During this pandemic, I often talk about silver linings. And one silver lining is how it's accelerated innovation in care. In your view, how has the pandemic driven innovation in healthcare over the past couple of years? Bashar, over to you. Well, look, there is no doubt that this pandemic has accelerated a lot of the transformation that's much needed in healthcare from virtual care to alternative settings for care, including at home, to critical technological and therapeutics advancements. I mean, we've seen it firsthand at KP. We've seen it across the country. We've seen it on vaccine. We've seen it on therapeutics. So there's no doubt that we've seen significant acceleration of the transformation. And this is something to celebrate. And we have to learn about how to sustain that down down the line. Now, at the same time, We also have to make sure that we are prepared for the next surge. We are prepared for the next pandemic. We also have to go back to the basics. Do we have adequate and timely supply of PPE so we're not, again, in the same position we were in the spring 2020 when this pandemic happened ever again? Most importantly, I think, and, and Chris, you and I and Dave and I have had this conversation many times, we have to be thinking about how we create an agile healthcare workforce for the future. We have seen how many gaps we have on this front as a country. Workforce training is critical. Investing in workforce pipeline from diverse communities is going to be critical. And honestly, all this requires tons of resources. And as a country, I'm hoping that the silver lining here is that we do dedicate those resources. So it's going to be really important that we focus on innovation, celebrate the transformation, at the same time, continue to pay attention to basics so that we're better prepared down the line. It's a great insight. And and, and I think that accountability kind of falls on on every uh, healthcare system across the country and, and on physicians to be advocates from a public policy standpoint in in driving that investment locally and nationally. Uh, David, be interested in your thoughts. I do think that the pandemic has obviously caused a major disruption in uh, everything that we do. Um, It clearly affected us in our ability to deliver care. And so Kaiser Permanente was among the you know, really among the first and the most successful in creating this transformation of care uh, that was uh, largely powered by our, um, like, you know, by our teleplatforms. But in addition to that, we also realized that the pandemic posed huge social challenges. And certainly the virus was most deeply felt in the underrepresented communities and who also suffered the most economically. So it forced us to innovate and improvise in social and community health in ways that I think we are not used to doing and honestly had to accelerate. Some of it was acceleration, some of it was innovation about ideas and just similar to telehealth that we had to just move this way faster than we originally conceived and also iterate on what we were doing. But for example, you know, we, we knew that Already, just as the pandemic was starting, about three of five of our members were indicating that they had at least one major social health need in in the domains we've talked about, housing, finance, transportation, isolation. Um, 
And we needed to have a platform that was available on an immediate basis to address those needs. Thrive Local wasn't ready yet. The electronic health records, uh, you know, Health Connect didn't have the right tools up yet. So we stood up a call center almost overnight to provide assistance to our members um, who needed help using the resource directories that fortunately we had already available to us. And we saw enormous volumes come through those call centers. Uh, and in a sense, it validated our suspicions of, you know, how deep that need was. Bashar, you played a key role as vaccination coordinator for the White House early in the COVID-19 pandemic before coming back to Kaiser Permanente in your current role, really during one of the most pivotal times of this pandemic. Can you talk a little bit about your experience and how it influenced your own personal views on social and community health in this country? Thank you, Chris. You know, when I emigrated to this country as an adult, I would have never imagined in a million years that I would be working at the White House and be in briefings with the president and the vice president of the United States. This uh, was an incredible um, opportunity, very humbling, um, full of gratitude that I was um, asked to, to serve in this in this capacity. And I had tons of learnings over the last year, and I know the country and the world have uh, learned a lot. You know, when I think about our public health infrastructure, it's very clear that this infrastructure was not prepared for the pandemic. Our healthcare systems were overwhelmed. Our education system was incredibly strained. And all of this took a tremendous toll on our economy. And if you think about it, all of these issues are truly connected. So our collective lack of preparation had a devastating effect on people's lives and in our communities. I think we all agree that this pandemic has exposed the silos our public health system and our healthcare systems operate um, in. We do have a big opportunity as a country to bridge these two hugely important disciplines for the health and well-being of people in this country. And then the last thing I would add is the, is the fact that inequity in our society remains staggering. And this pandemic didn't create inequities among our black and brown communities who continue to be disproportionately affected by the pandemic, but it certainly exposed those inequities further. And we do have to address these inequities head on. And that's why I'm um, so incredibly proud of the work that Kaiser Permanente is focused on when it comes to equity. I do believe this is going to be really, really critical. David, long before the pandemic, you played a significant role in highlighting the importance of social determinants of health for achieving better health outcomes. Can you talk a little bit about what Kaiser Permanente is doing to prioritize research and the work in this area? I, as you know, Kaiser Permanente has a, a world-class research program that's increasingly being leveraged to position us as a learning health system. So we in social and community health absolutely uh, subscribe to this notion of learning health system. And our group is all about practicing evidence-based medicine uh, and our quality of care and our outcomes certainly reflect that as we pay you know, close attention to the evidence in clinical care. And of course, social health is no exception. There are still many evidence gaps about what works best 
in delivering care to people with social health needs, um, as well as evidence gaps in about screening. And so for those reasons, our community and social health team have been sponsoring research uh, with our research centers, uh, our Kaiser Permanente Research Centers in Colorado, Washington, Oakland, among others, uh, to address some of those key questions that we need to know. Some examples are we have done surveys of our members to get a handle on the extent of their needs among our members. We've also done research on semantics and best approaches in communicating with patients as a, as a prelude to this um, big initiative. Uh, we also have funded SONNET, which is a network of translational researchers who are focused on research questions related to social health and are helping us every day as we unfold this work. And then finally, you know, we really need to evaluate virtually every social health initiative we undertake with our members to better understand whether this intervention was effective, both in terms of improving health, but also equity, but also how to scale and improve our ability to reach our our members. Such a a critical uh, component because I think it both highlights um, and validates the need as well as potential solutions that could be pursued. And as we close this interview, let's look ahead. Could you share one or two areas of social and community health that you hope to see prioritized in the months and years ahead? Let's start with you, David, and then uh, get your thoughts, Bashar. Well, Chris, I would say first that we need to prioritize screening. And we need to make sure that people who need and want to get that help actually get that help. And that's really why our Thrive Local Network was set up. Um, and that's what it's designed to do. Um, we're talking about a pretty significant transformation in the way we deliver care and services as we bring this new framework of social health practice. For our physicians and clinical teams, our priorities will be on raising awareness uh, and knowledge that these tools exist, and also to develop clear pathways um, to address those social health issues. For example, what are the physician's roles in screening and connecting, and how does that fit into the broader team-based care delivery model? We're still working out the final kinks on that, and uh, really, we recognize that it won't be the same across settings. It'll look different in the emergency department than in primary care. And physicians may not necessarily be that team member doing the work. It could be medical assistant. It could be nurses. But we do want them to know how to access those tools And they also want physicians to be champions about delivering social risk-informed care to their patients. And to that end, we'll have resources that will help physicians and their teams address these issues. I think for me, I'm actually going to start with a story of a woman I met last year during my tenure as the White House vaccinations coordinator. And then I'm going to talk about two key upstream efforts that I think are critical for this country. Um, I'm going to start with the story of Felicia Thibodeau. Uh, Felicia is the executive director of the Southwest Community Corporation in San Francisco, and her story inspired me in so many ways. She made sure that in her community, at least 1,271 people got vaccinated this past year, and she did this because she cares deeply about the lives and health of people in her community. She went out there to meet people in person. She talked to them by phone. She answered their questions. She addressed many of the myths head on with these folks. She drove a van across the city to get them vaccinated. She stopped at nothing. People like Felicia, 
that made me realize how united we can be as a country when it comes to fighting this pandemic and tackling some of the biggest challenges that we've seen around misinformation and trust in our health system. And that's, I think, how we build trust back is going to be really important for us as a country as we move forward. And here's how I look at it. You know, Americans' trust in government institutions to do the right thing has been steadily eroding since the late 60s. And this is really significant because this lack of trust makes finding and implementing solutions to communities' greatest challenges really hard. So we have to be able to figure out how we rebuild this trust. And obviously, there are many factors that drive this distrust, including a long history of institutionalized maltreatment of marginalized communities. And we have seen that in healthcare as well. The social media plays a big role here. So we have to be able to build a stronger trust. And for me, this all starts with transparency. We have to be honest with the public about what we know, what we don't know, and how we are making decisions. So transparency, though, alone is not going to be enough. We also have to incorporate community knowledge and expertise into the decision-making process more thoughtfully, and that includes specifically from communities that have been historically marginalized. So I do believe that as an organization, we also have a role to be able to play when it comes to help building that community trust. Now, the second piece I'd want to mention is the importance of focusing on our public health infrastructure um, as a country and the way we finance public health in this country. There's no doubt in my mind that we have to modernize our public health infrastructure so that it can fulfill its responsibilities to keep us all safe, focusing on data infrastructure and systems, focusing on the public health workforce supporting public health communication teams that are savvy and modern and local, modernizing law and policy, rebuilding trust in the public health, advancing health and racial equity. All of those are key to doubling down on our public health infrastructure. And we have to finance public health differently. Now, I don't know how that is going to play out, but I do think it's important work and it's important that we have a voice there, that we are at the table while these discussions are happening. That's such great, great insight and in wisdom, Bashar, and trust, transparency, constant communication. It's so essential in, 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 in every aspect of society, in particular in healthcare. And I wish we could go on and on. Uh, this has been such a fascinating conversation, but but time has flown by. I, I want to thank you, uh, Dr. Shuker and Dr. Grossman, for taking time out of your day to join our podcast. You know, I've had the privilege of working beside both of you for many years and seeing the wonderment of the work that you do and, and such a, a deep and profound commitment to public health, to communities, to individuals, and to those most in need know how grateful I am uh, for the work that you're doing right now as physician leaders for Kaiser Permanente, for every community we serve and at the national level. Uh, in my mind, you're heroes. And I'm, I'm so thankful for, for your expertise and for taking the time with us today. Thanks so much, Chris. Thank you very much, Chris. 
And thanks again to all our listeners for tuning in. I'm Chris Grant, and I'm delighted that you joined us, and we'll see you next time. The opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and are not necessarily the views of Kaiser Permanente, the Permanente Medical Groups, or the Permanente Federation.